Welcome to the Momentum Coaching Podcast. I'm a firm believer that momentum comes from knowledge and success. And I hope today's podcast episode adds another piece to your toolbox that helps build momentum in your coaching. Okay, so I'm sitting here with Paul Yetter of North Baltimore Aquatic Club. How's it going, Paul? It's going great. How you doing, Mike? Doing good, man. Um, so I actually have been like, you know, I've talked to you a little bit on social media and stuff, but I've actually been following your ideas for like 10 years. So you and your brother, I think, had a like a blog on Blogger. I think it was the Blogger platform, Still like up the there. OG. Yeah. <laughs> I tr- Man, I, I tried looking for it and I couldn't find – maybe I just don't know how to navigate it. I couldn't find the post that I remember reading back in the day. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember reading because your brother was the head age group coach at T2, right? He was. And now he's the head coach there. Oh, nice, nice. And yeah, I just remember I got some awesome, I remember some kicking ideas from him. And then I think it was you, you posted about, was it Connor Yeager? Is he the one that didn't swim the mile until trials? Just talking about this with my athletes yesterday. Yep. Well, he, I think he made the team in 2012 on his fifth and sixth 1500 ever, you know, prelims finals. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that was just a cool, I just remember reading that and thinking about like, you don't have to swim. I I mean, I was very early coaching. So 10 years ago I was, I had just started coaching on my team. So it was just a cool, but man, how about let's start with that little story about Connor Yeager. I think it's, I just think it's cool if you could break that down. Well, it was, you know, I think sometimes as, coaches you know we want everybody to swim every event and you know one thing we talked about at t2 was like you know maybe they shouldn't you know the younger kids shouldn't swim the long course 400 until they have a certain time in the 200 you know i think we were saying they have to be under three minutes long course you know as a 10 year old to for us to say okay maybe they should swim the 400 you know let's let's work on getting the stroke and getting the speed together like you know, a 400 meter for a kid that's nine years old, that's going to go seven minutes. How many strokes per length are they going to take 50 meters? And how, how does that relate to, you know, what they're doing in the future? So, you know, we wanted to wait until they had a certain amount of skill and experience with, you know, the shorter events. And, you know, really those blogs that we did, they they were really for communication with the parents and, and the athletes and, the team was so new, you know, we were just really you know, starting out. We had a lot of really new swimmers, really not well, a lot of new parents. And so we just threw that stuff out there to educate them. And you know, we were choosing their events and parents didn't have that say. So we wanted to explain to them like why we were doing some of those things. And it's weird, you know, like if you look at Connor Jager's progression as he came through in uh, New, Jer- New Jersey as a high school student athlete, he was like really good at the 200 pretty good at the 400 and it just seemed like when he went to Michigan they just kind of like added on a little bit here and there and they they started doing the 800 and he started having good 800s and then they put him in the mile pretty good at the mile and then all of a sudden he's on the team and it was like well he just kind of kept that speed I mean I think he came out of high school with 350 something in the 400 and he was like low 150s like 152 or something like that in the 200 so you can see how he basically just 
went out in those times and kept going for that 1500. He just sort of added the endurance onto the speed. And it's, you know, it's one of those things when Katie Hoff broke the American record in the 1650, she did it on her third 1650 ever. <laughs> and, you know, she just didn't, Dang. because of a lot of reasons, I think, you know, the last day of a lot of our meets, you got the two fly, the two back, the hundred free and the mile, you know, oftentimes we were choosing the other events, but when she was ready to swim the mile fast, she swam the mile. That's awesome. Yeah. My conflict with the mile, you know, meets we can go to when it's in the beginning. Um, I'm like, okay, what is this depending on the athlete? What is this going to take out of the rest of the meet or what are we, what are we trying to accomplish the rest of the meet? So if it's a meet where we're trying to, you know, with age groupers, sometimes we're just trying to take on new events. So sometimes that's fine, but it's like, we have a tough race tomorrow or a tough lineup tomorrow, something like that. We've got to meet this um, weekend. We're doing I, the same thing. We're, there's the miles first. We've got some people swimming it. Some of them are actually going to prom the next day, not swimming for the rest of the meet. Um, but a lot of people are just not going to swim it. And then they're going to crush the Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you guys always, have you always had that stance? Coaches pick all the events for their athletes? Yeah. At NBAC. We do the same yeah, thing. We have. Yeah. Yeah. We do the same thing. So as the kids get older, there's, there's more conversations that happen around events and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, we, we do the same. And most of the parents really like that once they get into that, because then it leaves them, you know, it, it takes their choices, you know, their, their ability to choose out of it and they can relax and just let us do it. I think if they're, you know, a little bit too into, you know, choosing, then they don't like it. But if yeah. they want us to be in charge, which is what I think they should be, that's the, the stance they should be having. And then they can, you know, just let us do it. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so, you know, just on your story, you know, where did you get started coaching? Can you kind of give me a, a timeline of your coaching story and how you got to hear where you're at? Yeah, I think I was in college uh, summer after my freshman year, and I was working at our pool at Meadowbrook Swim Club, which is where MBAC was training. And at that time, the trials for 96 were uh, in the spring. So this is the summer of 95. And some of my friends were going to trials, like, you know, because I was right out of high school. So some of my friends were still in high school. And some of them were training triples that summer. Right. So they were going like early morning, then they were doing an hour in the middle of the day and then they were coming back at night. And then there were some people that were just not uh, doing that because they didn't have trials cut. So they weren't elected to be part of that group. Same for me. I was working at the pool. I was a lifeguard. And for some reason, somehow I finagled it so I could basically coach a group of four people during like an hour during the middle of the day. And we, we were like, we're going to do a little bit more. And we worked on yeah. breaststroke for like. It was like a couple of weeks in a row of doing it once or twice a week with, you know, a certain group of people. And I was like, this is really cool. Like, you know, I can actually affect change with these people that are my friends and people that are one year, two years younger than me. And so we started, they, they were swimming fast and they, they were doing really well with their breaststroke. And then, so that was kind of my first thing. And then I, I went to school in Wisconsin. I went to the University of Wisconsin. And after I was done swimming there, after my second year, the, uh, I coached the high school team. So I coached Verona High School, mm -hmm. which is, it was, it was a great situation because that was a school where Neil Walker went to high school. So everybody in Texas knows who Neil Walker is. 
So he was like yeah. national high school record holder, something like two years prior to when I started coaching there with my good friend, Jacob Schultz. He's a friend of mine that I swam with at Wisconsin, and we coached that Verona high school team for four years together. We got two state championships out of those four years. And then during that time, I was coaching club swimming for Badger Aquatics Club. And uh, it was just kind of like, you know, I was thinking about like what I was going to do. And, you know, I wanted to coach the high school team for four years. So both Jacob and I did that. We finished that. And I was looking at different jobs like um, University of Wisconsin at Green Bay, University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee, that kind of thing. And a couple of coaches from Wisconsin, you know, they they heard that they were, you know, I was also looking at some jobs in Maryland. And, you know, this is where I'm from. And I swam for NBAC growing up. Uh, so they were like kind of guiding me and telling me like, hey, you, know, you should really consider going back to Maryland. You've got connections there and the connections that you have there are good connections. And so I did that. I, I went back to Maryland. I coached at the Bel Air Aquatic Club for a year and a half. Um, that's where Chase Kalish and Courtney Kalish were when they were seven and nine years old or six and nine years old or something like that. So I did that for a year and a half, and it was apparent that at that club at that particular time, it wasn't going to work out. You know, we had a, a dome over our pool, and the health department kept shutting us down because the chloramines were just not able to leave the area. <laughs> and Wow, and back then, too. Yeah, you know. yeah, I mean, it was, it was, we didn't really feel it as much as the health department could, could see it and, and test for it, um, you know, as I've had worse situations, but it was just one of those things where we kept yeah. getting shut down. And there was a period of time where it was like in the spring, you know, and it was like maybe the winter or the spring and it was snowing. And so there was no school. And so my athletes who didn't have a pool to train in for like that whole week, we were out of school also. And so I called my alma, my alma mater high school, Loyola High School's coach, Keith Shirtle, and I said, hey, can we get in? you know, just like for an hour and a half or something in the middle of the day today. And he was like, yeah, you got it. So we went, and we trained there for an hour and a half that day. And I had like a dozen kids on an hour and a half notice trek down in the snow to train. And I was like, man, these kids are, you know, just really ready to go. And we don't really have yeah. a place for them. I went immediately to Bob Bowman's practice, which is right down the road. I mean, <clears throat> we trained at like one thirty that day or something. We ended, I went right to his practice. Like I said, I was an MBAC swimmer. I knew Bob. Bob had actually coached my group for a couple of weeks while my old coach, Murray Stevens, was at the Olympics or something that had to do with the Olympic prep in 92 or something like that. So I went and sat with him. And that day, um, you know, basically we, con we connected to the point where I was going to join MBAC as his assistant. Yeah. Went upstairs, talked with Murray Stevens, who at that time was the head coach, essentially got the job that day, kind of shut everything down with uh, Bel Air over the next couple of months. Um, a lot of kids at the Bel Air team then went and they went and swam for Tom Himes at the Hartford County MBAC site, which was just forming at that basically at that same time that I was shutting it down. So they just went over there and trained with him. There was one of the older athletes that came and swam with Bob and me at the main site, which is like 30 minutes south. And a lot of the kids uh, were kind of up there north when um, I actually took that job north a couple of years later and coached the satellite mm -hmm. team. So I spent 
like a year and a half with Bob coaching with him and then eventually moved to coach at the Hartford County site. And at that site were a ton of kids that I had actually coached when I was at Bel Air. So I did that for uh, through 2004. And then when Bob took the job at the University of Michigan in 2004, I went and coached at the main site, did that from 2004, mm -hmm. right after Athens through 2009 when I went to Auburn. So that's kind of the, the basics of the beginning of my coaching career. Dang, that's awesome. It's cool how, uh, I mean, you've just, you've been around a lot of like great athletes and great coaches, whether directly with them or in the, just in that area, like some hot spots, you know? So you've been coaching 27 years, since, more or since less? 96 or seven, I guess you would say. So whatever that is. <laughs> hey, you look great, man. Thanks. By the way, how old are you? 47. 47. Yeah. You look great, Thanks. man. Okay. Appreciate it. Um, so, you know, what's something that, let's say, what's something about your coaching now that's completely different from man. 10 years ago? Oh, so much. Oh, man. Uh, there's, there, where can I start? I mean, I think that 10 years ago, I, I did a lot of what I do now in terms of I, I try to get in tune with each individual athlete. I think that I'm probably just better at it now. Um, and I'm, I'm still very performance oriented, but I was like, you know, if you, if you were to do like the pie chart of, you know, how much is this coach performance oriented and how much is this coach, you know, trying to help the athletes with other aspects of life pie chart was pretty full with the performance oriented 10 years ago. I think it's become a little bit more like what it should be with some, you know, a lot of different pieces to that pie chart of what I can offer athletes. So yeah. I've changed that a lot. Do you think that, do you think that has uh, driven better performance though? I think that it will. It will. Yeah. yeah. Man, I, man, I, I, I get that. You know, we, uh, we probably, and I, when I say we, me and my head coach, our team, we are probably more relational and that other stuff than performance not like this heavy skew like we don't care about performance or anything like that but it's something that we have noticed in the past couple of years that we're actually trying to tone down the extra stuff what do you mean by um, the extra stuff just so when i say extra stuff um the i don't, this isn't the right word but maybe too much hand holding of the athletes along the way sure. instead of like a little more of like, Hey, we need to, we need to put our head down and make this happen. Um, which we're not like a soft team or something like that. I would, I wouldn't say that. Um, but we definitely have done like way in the past. We've done way more one-on-one -on -one meetings with athletes, one-on-one -on -one meetings with athletes and parents. And we were like communication relationships, like, we're going to, this is going to be a big part of it. And, um, it's not that it's, it's bad. It, it turned into a little bit too much for us without the performance element following through as, as much, just what we noticed. And, um, it sucks when you really, really, really try to help people and, uh, I mean, as a coach, you're never going to get you're never going to get back what you put in 
to your athletes and your team and stuff like that. And we just felt like to, to take our, to take our team to the next place performance wise, then we need to do a little less of just certain things, not everything, not, not all the conversations, not all the fun and stuff like that. But we felt like maybe we were doing a little too much of it and that it was getting in the way of performance and kids were still quitting and stuff like that. Um, One of the things we've talked about the concept and the idea of teaching is taken, not taught. And, you know, it just speaks to teaching people really how to take the teaching is part of it. You know, getting people to understand that they are an active ingredient to anything that we might actually be trying to teach. Yes. You know, something else we've done, we were spreading our resources out too thin um, on our team with uh, the developmental side, the age group side, the high school performance side. Um, Like, and so like we just took our five and six year olds off the competitive side. And we moved it to our learn to swim program, but it's still like a group. Like they're still doing like two hours a week and they have little ribbon meets, but another part of, cause COM aquatics, we're like a, we're like a big place with different departments and stuff. Mm -hmm. So like a whole nother department's doing that. So we're not pulling full-time coaching resources to run these little meets. And it, it goes back to the same thing. Like we love those little guys and we love how much fun they have in the sport. And we did a great job with them, but also like when one of the head coaches needs to be at one of these ribbon meets or somebody has to miss a practice and get it covered so they can go run this little ribbon meet. Um, it's not that it's bad. It's just, we were spreading our resources out too much, like our human capital. Um, and it was just turning into too many events and too many different sections of the team. And it's like, are we trying to have the best developmental program in the country or the best senior program in the country? And, um, not that we're letting our developmental program go or anything like that. There's just a little bit of a shift in how much resources we're putting into as, as far as human resources yeah. into the bottom end of our team. Sure. That's what we're currently doing in this, this year. Yeah. And um, it's good. Also pulling up more coaches to the top end of our team. So more athletes have the further you get in our team. Now you have more access to resources, whether that's more coaches mm-hmm. And things like that. So that's where we're at. Um, So what we talked about kind of what's different, but what is, what's something that in your coaching you felt like has been pretty consistent over the past 25, 27 years that you've always like, this is one of your rocks right here. Although I do manipulate what I do like on a weekly, a monthly basis for what, whoever I've got, you know, and whoever my athletes are, I've like stuck with the same sort of basic training program. I mean, I've learned so much from the coaches that I've worked with. When I worked with Bob, it was like everything just made sense. You know, Monday made sense, Tuesday made sense, Wednesday made sense, and everything kind of flowed, you know, one thing off of the other. So some of the staples of my program, I do endurance work, I do speed work. I think that If you were to classify, you know, what we do, it's like right in the middle. It's the perfect mix. It's the balance of everything that really matters, you know, so it's finding the right amount of aerobic work for people, finding the right type of speed work. We do a lot of, a lot of speed stuff where we kind of climb up to a distance. So for instance, we might, uh, you know, we might hit a, 
I might go like a 25 moderate, 25 fast, 50 moderate, 50 fast, 75 moderate, 75 fast, 150 moderate, 150 fast. Take a 200 easy and go through that, you know, three times or four times. And, you know, what ends up happening is they tend, they tend to like whatever they flip on, like, you know, the, whatever they're flipping on in the 50, they kind of go out in that in the 75, whatever they do in the 75. And we coach it like 90%, 95%, you know, and then the 150 is, is faster. And they, they will tend to flip at the 150 on what they do on the 75. So we do a lot of that type of stuff to sort of create the speed, you know, as they're going yeah. through the workout. So yeah. that's, that's so what really is your, like... the weekly stuff. Monday, aerobic. Monday, we're doing cardio. Monday, we're doing stuff where based, usually we'll have two groups. And I've, right now, I've got some distance people. So we're trying to you know, do a good you know, distance training set, like 2,400, 30-some 30, you know, 30 hundred, 4,000. And then I've got some people that maybe don't do quite as much and the intervals aren't quite as tough. Uh, Tuesdays, we do active rest stuff. So we're just like, you know we're balancing it out. So like, if you looked at our weeks, um, I wish I had my chart uh, with me, but it, it would be like, you know, if on a Tuesday we worked on, let's say we, we did some uh, cardio work on Monday and it was freestyle. We might do freestyle again on Tuesday, but the following Tuesday coming back, we probably wouldn't do freestyle on that Tuesday. We'd probably do backstroke or something like that. Coming off the freestyle on a Tuesday, we'd probably go to, uh, you know, something short, short axis on a Wednesday, I'd give them a choice of either that, uh, butterfly or breaststroke. And they would do what we call kick drill swim work. We do a lot of this type of stuff where maybe we go with like a hundred freestyle followed by a 50 stroke kick, 50 stroke drill. That's a 200 rest till the 250, and then hit a 50 on 50 and go through that nine times. And so, you know, they might do that sort of thing on a Wednesday. Then we go back on Thursday and we do more uh, of the same thing we did on the Monday. So, you know, usually we'll balance mm -hmm. out the Monday. If we did, you know, some straight swims, we might come back and do some shorter stuff. If we did some freestyle, we might do some free IM or some backstroke or something like that. Friday, we do uh, kicking. Friday is like a chill day. Friday is like they come in, they know they're going to kick. They're probably going to sprint. I mean, pretty much put them on the blocks for like three rounds of 50s if we're not going right into a meet or coming right off of a meet. We're doing that. We'll do mm -hmm. something different. Um, we do a lot of stroke count work. So we might do stroke count stuff on Friday, like match your stroke count to your time. So that's something that I think is a hallmark of our program. We do, we do that with every stroke. We do it long course. We do it short course, short course. I mean, right now we've got, we've got one girl that can go 24, 24, 12 down, 12 back. And so that's kind of a, we feel like if you can go 24, 24, you can go 48 or 49. She goes 49. You can pretty much double what you can match, but you can't match it going 11, 13 strokes. And ideally you're going 12, 12 on the splits as well as the strokes. So if you can do that, you can double it for your short course time. And then long course, we do the same yeah. thing. We do, uh, you know, we don't train as much long course, but we'll do uh, stroke count match for freestyle. We'll do 10 strokes under the time for fly. Uh, brush strokes a little bit different, but most people, what we start out is 20 strokes under the time. And for backstroke, it's two strokes under the time for long course. We don't do backstroke for okay. short course. Fly and breaststroke, we do uh, halves. So for like a 25 and 14, it's seven strokes. A 25 and 13, it's six strokes. 25 and 12, it's six strokes. And we do that for 50s as well. So if they're going to go a fly 28, that's seven and seven. And if they're going to go 27, they go six and six. 
So we're working on nice. kickouts and that kind of thing. And then Saturday, you know, so we do that on Fridays. We do that really throughout the week. Um, if we're doing a good job of it, we're doing it more than once a week and really working on it either 25s, 50s, main set, secondary set. Saturdays can be anything just like everybody else, I think, in the U.S. does. Sometimes we're just throwing, you know, we're just cranking them. Yeah. Sometimes we're doing active rest. It's a balance. And then su- we train on Sundays and Sundays are pretty chill. Sundays nice. are, you know, generally speaking, like 4,000 yards. And like I, I mix up all the strokes because we tend to right now with the group that I've got, we do a little bit more freestyle than I've been doing with a lot of my groups. Um, so I'll make sure that they mix up the strokes on Sunday and just basically recover them through balancing out all the musculature in their body. How, um, so I've only heard of a few teams training on Sunday. It's probably more common than I think. Um, why do you guys train seven days a week? Just, just wondering. Well, the old, the old way of thinking about it is you add up all of those through four years and you've got, well, let's say, let's say every year, realistically, you've got some meets and that kind of thing. So you've got 40 times a year that you train. So over four years, you're looking at 160 extra practices. And so we've done that. But I mean, Mike, I don't know about you, but I got a lot of kids missing practice. I mean, I've got some athletes that are going to be there every single day, including the mornings, but I've got people that aren't coming to mornings. I've got people that aren't there every day. We've got people missing for, I think, more reasons now than they've missed in the past. So it's like, you know, we train on Sundays and we just try to add it up, you know, as best we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, They need a day off. We give them a day off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, whatever training, I don't know if anybody has any like super hard opinions on Sundays or not. I think if your athletes are adapting to what your, your training is and we're, we're doing good, then it, then it works for you guys. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, man, the recovery has got to be recovery. You know, it can't be like a mix. So if I feel yeah. like they really need to recover, we're going to, we're going to chill, but they're going to, they're going to yeah. move around, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, no, but I totally get the missing practice. I mean, my my middle school group, they have like seven banquets this week. And I have a group of 40, and yesterday I had 12 at practice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. crazy, yeah. the stuff going on. I added a Thursday morning. We we had Thursday morning today that we don't normally have. Um, You know, so while you were explaining to me, especially those Fridays – the stroke count match your time mm-hmm. you said you know if you can go 12 and 12 and 24 you feel pretty confident about doubling that and that'd be your 100 free time mm-hmm. but you don't feel the same if they're 11 13 going 24 yeah. um what do you think can you just elaborate on it's that a little something bit to that extra three kicks that they've got to take to go to that 12 strokes and then you know as they go faster and they go to 11 strokes like let's say they're matching 11 11 at 22 now they're kicking underwater even further. And the more, you know, the faster you're going, the more turbulence you're going to get in the pool. So you got to kick underwater a little bit further. And the faster you get, the the more the underwater kick and the, and the 100 is really coming into play. So we're just encouraging just even more underwater the faster you're going. Yeah. If they, yeah. If they just if they can't, the... yeah, if they just can't do it, then it's like, well, there you go. <laughs> that's one, yeah, that's yeah, one yeah. little thing that you're missing off that last wall. And they might not kick yeah, as far, that, you know, off the, they're not going to do that stroke count for their racing. Like I remember Erica Erndl would go 28 uh, seconds and 28 strokes long course, and she'd race at 42 coming home. 
So she's picking up the stroke rate, but she's holding the water. Yeah. But yeah. she would pretty much come so, home in that in that twenty eight for long course. Yeah. So I've you know, I've seen you post multiple things and even on your your blog way back then. Yeah. You know, it seems like you have a series of predictors and markers or just things that you like to see. Like I remember on your blog way back, you had something on the board and it was like a set of two hundreds kick. Maybe it was like eight or ten or twelve two hundreds kick. And you're like, if you want to be a 145, 200 freestyler, you can average this. It was either an average or an interval. I'm 100% going off memory here. Yeah. I did not find it. Um, but, but it seems like you have some, some different predictors or things you like to see that directly relate to racing. Can you go through, I don't know, what are your favorite ones? Oh, man. Things like that, there's, things that you look for. There's so many. You know, I remember the first time watching Katie Hoff kick breaststroke and she's kicking 40 with a board. And I'm like, well, that's her long course pace for breaststroke. And she was kicking a lot of them consistently at 40s. And so I was thinking, you know, if she could do the same set and kick 38s and maybe not add kicks or something like that, maybe she could actually go 38s. And so we kind of started working on that sort of thing. And I just basically watch. I mean, coaches, I think we should just watch them, you know, just watch people. And then we can link what they actually do to, you know, in the races to what we've seen in the practice. And we kind of see what makes sense. So, so it's, you know, doing the experiments over the course of years and seeing kind of what, it, you know, what it's supposed to look like to go a certain time. Like, you know, for instance, um, you know, if I see somebody do a 2000 for time and every other 50, they're hitting a certain pace and they can, you know, on the easy part, they only go up two seconds. A lot of times that faster pace is the pace they can hold for the 1650. You know, they go up five or six seconds and it becomes an easy fast instead of a more like pretty good, really good type of swim, then it's different. But, mm -hmm. you know, those are, that's, that's one of the markers. But some of the things I think that you're referring to might be like our IM thing that we, we add up the 200s. Uh, add up the 200 flyback breast and free, you get an 800 time, divide it, add five to 10 seconds. And that is, um, you know, pretty much going to be in the range for an athlete's 400 IM. Interestingly, you know, and so this is kind of, this is actually good because this is how I think about it. So Katie Grimes, Katie Grimes breaks the mold with this. She doesn't fit into that. And she's really one of the the only athletes that we've seen that goes that fast. She's a 431 long course IM -er, and she her her range is really like a 435 to 440, but she's she's faster. So it got me thinking like, well, she also goes 1545 or 44 in the 1500. So I started thinking, yeah. you know, maybe and I don't think I'm going to like adjust <laughs> adjust the range, but somebody like Katie Grimes is an outlier because I think for maybe every second or every 10 seconds from 1605 to 1555 might be like one second off my 400 range. Like my range doesn't take into account a really good 1500 swimmer. And, yeah. you know, what Katie's thing is, is she only goes 240 something in the 200 meter breaststroke. For most people, for most IMers, if that's all they do, it's tough to go faster than 431 because not having the the breaststroke be very good compared to the other strokes, the freestyle for most people will suffer. But I think for Katie Grimes, it doesn't work like that. So for me, I'm like every 10 seconds, like 1605 to 1555 is a second off my range. <laughs> and then from 55 to 45, it's another second off my range. And then 
you know, that would get her down kind of closer to that range. So I think about it yeah. like that in terms of like, okay, well, yeah, the brush, the brushstroke really crushes people in the IM if they're not very good at it. But if they can overcome that with a ridiculous 10 K 1500 <laughs> type of freestyle, yeah. then it's like, okay, that can switch things around. So we also do that with the hundreds of the strokes and, um, you know, add up the hundreds, divide it, add five to 10. And generally people are going to be in that range. So it's great for coaching athletes because you can just talk about the hundreds, talk about the two hundreds and get people to understand that the IM is a, um, a function of all those things. And I think the IM is a great thing to attack because nobody wants to do it. <laughs> so if mm -hmm. you get people to actually want to do it, particularly the 400 IM, then you can eliminate a lot of people, I'd say in particular in the 18 and under world, but really in that event, it's, you know, it's everybody. Um, you can eliminate yeah. a lot of people that just simply don't want to do the event. Yeah. So. Yeah. You should hundred percent put together a little book of predictors I mean, just put a just put a disclaimer on the front that's like these are not a hundred percent accurate, <laughs> aka Katie Grimes. But try them for yourself, uh, right? You know, try the stroke count, yeah, test yeah. out the stroke count stuff. I mean, the hard part about the stroke count stuff is actually teaching it, because I think most coaches, if you're going to do that, they will line up the group, and they will just say, okay, this is what we're going to try to do, and then everybody is going to do it, and then you're going to get like, let's say you've got sixteen people at practice, you're going to get you know, three people are going to get an A and three people are going to get a B on the first try. And then like, there's going to be a bunch of C minuses in there that, and you're not sure what people are doing. So first off, I teach it 25s first, just get them doing the 25s mm -hmm. and then do the fifties. But we do, what we call, uh, well, first off, we'll just do it in, in like one person at a time and everybody will watch that person. But if I've got 16, generally what I'll go to is a domino thing. So like one person will start and then that, when that person gets to the flags at the other end, the next person will start. And so essentially it flows, but we're kind of going one person at a time and everybody's watching everybody else. And we teach them to count their kicks and um, we teach them. Then we teach them the fifties after they get the 25s. We teach them to take an extra couple of kicks off of the wall. Like if they take nine kicks to go 12 strokes on the first 25, they're probably going to have to take 11 or 12 kicks off the flip turn wall to go the same amount of strokes coming back on that 50. So we actually have the whole group watch people do it and watch people do it incorrectly, watch people do it correctly. And then so once we've got an example or two, then we can start everybody on the 50s. And then when we start everybody, we've got half the group already getting an A, the other half getting a B, and we're closer to actually getting it done. So yeah. that's kind of how we actually teach that particular thing. I forget exactly why, how we even got on that subject of teaching it. But I think it's important if you're going to do it to do it right. Like, cause you're going to just waste, you get, you might as well take 10 minutes and have athletes watch other athletes. And then you're going to get a bunch of A's and B's than just trying it for 20 minutes. You just like still can't figure it out by the end of it. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, you're increasing your, your kids athlete IQ. Yeah. Like as they get further into your program and your team, they understand it. They know their numbers. They know they know what they need to do there. They know how to do it well. That sort of thing. Um, uh, yeah, that gives me a lot to think about. I so when you say A, B, and C, were you talking about like an A level stroke count is like they, they're 12. getting an A on the test? You know, like yeah. they finish and they're like, got it. You know, the C's yeah. are like, well, I went 
you know, 28 seconds, but I did it in 33 strokes and I have no idea. Like, you you know, then you got to go one by one by one to say, okay, now you got to kick off the wall a little further. Did you count your kicks? No, you didn't count your kicks. You count your kicks. And then they do it, do another yeah. one with 16 people. And there's still people that haven't counted their kicks off of both walls. They did it off the first wall, didn't do it off the second wall. So yeah, yeah the teaching of yeah, it, I, do I think it that is way. important. That's the way I do it. Yeah. <laughs> but or they get to the wall and then they look at you and they're like, is that good? And you're like, well, <laughs> yeah, when they count their strokes and they're just like, is that good? And they just look at you because they have no idea. It but yeah, so teaching much, that stuff. It gives you so much to work with, you know. And if I get a group like, you know, a lot of us, we all sub in, right, for, for groups. And so I've got a, a few certain things that I'll pull out. You know, when I want to have a group do like a good job at practice, I don't know because I want to get to know them. You know, I want to like have an interaction with the athletes and not just have them crank. You know, if I yeah. know them a little bit, maybe they'll crank a little bit. But if I'm just getting to know them, that's a way to really teach them and interact with them. And I think, you know, it's a great way to get their strokes looking good. Yeah. Kind of pivoting to coaches here, coaches on your staff. Um, what do you what do you think? a young coach or a new coach, what do you like to see them be really good at in the first couple of years of their careers? That's a great question, Mike. Um, I think, and I've, I've seen you post about this, like having a mentor and having somebody that they've, that they actually can see coach. Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that's not really done that much anymore, but it's a, it's a key thing, you know, to actually be on the pool deck and, and see the coach coach. Because there's so many different aspects of dealing with people, you know, and dealing with parents and that kind of thing. And, and actually like seeing it is, I think, a big, big part of it. Um, but yeah. what should they be interested in and what should they be good at? I think that they should be good at balancing everything, trying to be good technically, understand what people can handle as far as training, not doing too much, not mm -hmm. doing too little. I think, you know, we... I see with a lot of coaches, they either do too much, too hard, or it's just not enough. And the athletes could do a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I always ask my coaches, what is fast? Just to see, I mean, fast is relative, but based on like, say their age group, they're coaching 11, 12. So I'm like, okay, what is fast? Mm -hmm. And I just ask them that. I don't ask them that to judge them or give them the perfect answer. I just want to hear what they think, like what, where their frame of mind is. So as they're watching their athletes, um, I, I think it's huge. I think it's huge for coaches to know what their athletes are doing. Like how much, okay, you did fifties kick on a minute. Cool. Mm -hmm. How much rest was everybody getting? Mm -hmm. And they're like, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, how many people didn't make it? Didn't make the interval. You know what I mean? It's like, these are the little, these are the mental notes you need to take yeah. that you can carry with you into your coaching. Just like your, you know, these, I keep using the word predictor sets. I know they're not exact predictors. But you have all these – you have these mental notes and stuff that when you see a kid do X, Y, and Z, you know that we're starting to open the door to whatever it is. Sure. You know? And some of it's based off of experience. Like another predictor you – know, I mentioned the 50s kicking with the breaststroke. Another one is backstroke kick and a short course backstroke kick. Short course, you know, taking two hand hits and a flip going into the turns, you know, just, just to standardize that. And kicking your long course time you know, kicking your long course goal. And for us, like with our team, I find it's funny. I was talking with an athlete who was joining our team. We're talking, I was talking with her and her parents on the phone and I was telling her a little bit about our, what, 
we do with our practices. And I was like, you know, we kick <laughs> and we kick fast. Like pretty much everybody in my training group is under you know, going in the twenties for short course yard kick on the back. And this athlete was like, Whoa, you know, that's a lot faster than I've done. I don't even know what I do. And within, you know, a week, she kicked a 31. She told me she was a 39. Um, and she kicked a 31 just because she's like watching people do it. And then she did it herself. You know, she just kind of had to have that leap of belief that she could actually go that fast. But we do that a lot. Like, you know, we kind of have, we have these standards with kicking that people that are new to our team are like, really? <laughs> That's kind of crazy. And then they do it. Yeah. Uh, what, as far as kicking goes, how much kicking do you, do you try to hit a certain amount per day, per week, or is it just, you just kind of fit it in all over the place and you don't keep count? Besides the Fridays, that is like a major kicking set, which we balance out through the weeks. Like we might go a thousand per time. We might go 12 100s on two minutes, three of each best average. We might do other short rest type stuff like 15 100s or 12 100s going five, five, five with the intervals or four, four, four with the intervals. We do that type of stuff a lot on Fridays. And then on Mondays, before we get into our main aerobic stuff, we kick. So we'll do a pretty good kick set on Mondays as well. And then we kind of fit it in give... throughout the week and maybe do a secondary set. Like a secondary set I like is like 12, one, like, you know, they've done a training set, go 12, 100s on 120, one swim, one kick. I've seen people who have never gone under 120 in their life make that set, falling behind on the kick at the beginning, catching up on the free, kind of starting to kick low 120s towards the end, catching up on the free, finally kicking 119 on the end for the first time ever. So we do a lot of that kind of stuff as well in the end, or we can do fifties on yeah. 40 same way. I absolutely love, I love alternating kick and swim sets, 175s, fifties. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but the kicking, the quality of kicking is like always good. I yeah. Mean, and that's doing. another reason I like to going into 15 meter sprints, do a wall kick into it. There's something to the holding, you know, the athletes hold the water with their hands and with, you know, with their forearms and that kind of thing, but they're also holding the water with their feet. And so when we do the wall kick, you know, they're just like holding on to the wall and kicking like they're eight, you know, and then they open turn or flip turn. And that, that 15 meter sprint is usually a better 15 meter sprint than just to push off and go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what kind of, do you give your, um, coaches under you direction on kicking? Like, NBAC is going to be great at kicking. These are the kind of things we need to see in our age group. I'm not really sure how you guys are broken down, um, but yeah, up to where you're at. I don't really do that because it's not really my jurisdiction. I kind of coach, I coach my groups. Um, there was a point in time when I worked with one of our coaches, Catherine Violet, pretty closely, like in terms of we would coach together um, with the same group at the same time. And so we kind of split the group. Um, so we did that for a few years. So she pretty much has a handle on what I've done and she's taken, you know, kind of what I've done and her, you know, thing that she likes to do with athletes and kind of combined them. And so she actually works with a lot of our, you know, best up and coming 14 year olds, 13 year olds, that kind of thing. Um, so we've got a little bit of kind of a connection there, but as far as like what we do with our team and what we teach, I mean, it's, it's really coach Tom Himes is the head coach. He's in charge of doing all that kind of stuff. And I know that he speaks with the other coaches about kicking. I'm not sure exactly what the specifics are, but we're just, we're known to be 
a kicking team and everybody kind of understands that, you know, on our coaching staff and, you know, how they actually do it. I think that's really up to them. It's up to the individual yeah. coaches. I think what you'll see is um, if you were to visit our team, a lot of the, there's a couple of different groups that are doing a similar thing once they get to the senior level, like 13 and up, 14 and up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. What's new for you? What's like in the past year, past two years, what's something you've been kind of ruminating on or experimenting with? What's new for you and your team? Hmm. You know, everything is, it's always new. It seems like it's, well, obviously it's new every year. So I've got like a new group of people. Um, but yeah. uh, as far as what's actually new this year, I'm really just trying to get my kids on a roll. <laughs> trying to get them to, to really figure it out. So for me, it's a, it's a constant teaching of my philosophy and it takes, I feel like a little bit of time to kind of get it. So they're starting to get it. So, yeah, so yeah. it's right now, like at this time of year, I mean, the athletes I've been working with since the fall are really starting to do what I want them to do. And so now we're just, we're starting to get on a roll and I just want to like, keep it going. Like I'm not trying to change too much. And, um, mm -hmm. I've got some people that are really starting to buy in. So yeah, as far as what's new, I mean, like what is ever really new with swimming? I mean, it's like, yeah. we're going to go fast. We're going to, we're going to try to recover the best that we can. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to teach that type of stuff as far as the athletic stuff goes. Yeah, man, it's a never ending, uh, it's a never ending cycle. It's, it's just like I was telling a coach the other day, you know, I've been, uh, I've been on my team for 10 years and I was telling him, I was like, I have the same conversations with kids and parents now that I had 10 years ago. And it would be like, it would be so entitled of me to assume that one day I make it and I don't ever have to whatever, teach a parent this or teach a kid this, like you're always, always teaching that stuff. Yeah. Um, what is your... Do you, your current situation at uh, NBAC, do you coach one group? How much do you coach a week? I coach it's two kinda... groups. I coach two, two groups. groups. I coach the top group that has like 17 athletes in it. And then I coach the group that's kind of like our fourth senior group. So it's, mm -hmm. it's not our, you know, they're, they're kind of like 14 year olds that aren't our best 14 year olds. There's some 15 and 16 year olds in there as well. But there, we've got some good kids in that group, and it's a fun. I I have two really good groups, and and then we've got two other groups that Coach Catherine coaches that I see pretty much every day because with our training situation at Loyola University right now, I pretty much will coach one group in five lanes over here, and then there's another group that's happening over here, and then I just kind of switch. Catherine and I will just switch, and then you know we coach our other groups later at night. So it's kind of a uh, four o'clock to five forty-five to six type of thing, and then a six o'clock uh, to seven forty-five type of thing. So yeah. I do that pretty much every day. We do mornings twice a week. Do the usual uh, weekends that everybody else does. Yeah. So you know your your fourth. Your you say you're like your fourth senior group. Mm -hmm. um, those are the guys that are kind of deciding: do they want to be a swimmer? Some of them might have just started late, so you're trying to get them up to speed to keep up with the other groups. Uh, what's something, what's something that you do to that kind of, you know, like you said, trying to get them going, 
what's your like, hey, this is I do this with these kinds of kids to get them going? The hardest part has been not being too hard on them or too I, – I, I feel like I've done the best over the last probably two months with meeting everybody where they are. And I've mm-hmm. been able to get them to go a little further <laughs> towards where I want them to be um, and where they need to go to continue to progress in swimming. So that group, it's really a, just a, it's a constant selling of like, get here, get here to practice, <laughs> you know, be consistent Please. with the practice so that I can teach and that you can learn and that you can get better at stuff. And a lot of the stuff is, you know, some of the stuff is swimming. A lot of the stuff is not swimming related. I mean, we're talking yeah. about like just being better at being better at life. I mean, the one thing we teach and that I've taught to them is to be people who swim, not swimmers who people, and to get back to kind of your original uh, kind of line of questioning or whatever that we were talking about way earlier in the podcast, Mike, you know, I feel like one of the things that, you know, coaches and people have a problem with is that, you know, so that's, you know, things that I might do better 10 years down the road and that kind of thing. It's identifying that with athletes and trying to get them to, you know, like <laughs> they can go fast without having to be really weird about it, <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, and, and coaches, coaches can also get people to swim fast without being overly intense about it and that kind of thing. We can mm-hmm. reason with people a little bit more than I think we think. Um, we tend to have to reason with their parents too and get the parents on yeah. board a little bit more now than, than before. But um, generally, uh, that's something that with this particular group, I'm trying to get them to be just, they're trying to, I'm trying to get them to be into it um, enough. Mm-hmm. And then I've got <clears throat> other groups that maybe, because the higher level athletes, the people who are going to junior national level or higher, they need to learn how to relax. You know, they need to learn how to yes. kind of chill. So really with my two groups, I mean, I do have people that are in my group that are a little bit newer to the sport or a little bit less experienced that need to learn how to chill for sure. Um, we talk about it a lot, but when I go to meets with them, well, they need to learn how to chill at meets too, for sure. But there, <laughs> a lot of the people that are in my top level group, the difference is the, the nerves and the, that, that sort of thing that they might feel and getting them to kind of you know, deal with that, deal with that in a positive way and yeah. and be relaxed people so that they can like not have everything riding on, you know, just an event. Yeah. And, you know, something I try to teach is like make things normal, like swimming fast is normal. Going to practice is normal. Like just kind of normalize everything because I think we tend to make a lot of things a big deal or a bigger deal than they need to be. And I try to, I try, I try. Yeah. There's less my athletes. And sorry, go ahead. No, I was just like emotional mountains and valleys. It's just like, you want to, the mountains are fun and they can be really good, but man, there's, there's a valley waiting on the other side of that. And you just got to be careful with those things. I think parents would do well to, um, and coaches and, and swimmers as well to do, they do well to understand how hard it is to be on a roll with just basic life, you know, to be on a roll personally and to be on a roll athletically is such a difficult thing. Um, and people, I think these days are valuing a little bit more like, all right, we got to get out of that, take a vacation. We need to get out of that, take a day off. We need to there's a certain, to your point, like there's a certain amount of handholding that's being done that isn't necessarily good for people. And 
I mean, I can speak to the amount of times I've seen people just on a roll with swimming. They're 14 or 15 years old, and then they take a week vacation, and it it really hurts them because psychologically, they come back and they they aren't where they were, and it takes them a little while mm-hmm. to get back. And I don't think that people understand how how tenuous the psyche of a high level athlete can be and where a break of a week, you know, a vacation or a couple of days off or, you know, taking time off for just like exams or that sort of thing, where when you're 12 years old or 13 years old, it might not be that big of a deal. You start to do that when you're older and it can really start to add up. In particular, when you're racing against people that are not doing that or they're super talented and going really fast anyways, it's really tough to win. And in particular, when they're older, parents and kids and coaches, I think, have to kind of understand, like, the stuff you're doing when you're 12, it it doesn't work the same way when you're 16 and when you're 17 and when you're 18. You can get yeah. away with a lot more of the, the, the letting things go when you're younger mm-hmm. and still perform to a high level. If you get in the habit and the parents kind of get in the habit of, like, well, that's kind of like the way we've always done it. If you get in the habit of that, then you know, you can be in trouble with it and because you can't do that when you're older. You have to put in a little bit more work. You can't take as many breaks. And once you do and you do it once or twice, it's kind of over <laughs> for high school. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when I get athletes, I've got two years with a lot of them on average. So some I've got a little mm-hmm. more than that. Some I've got less than that. And it's like if they don't kind of get it right away, then they're going to miss it. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I, I call them momentum killers. Yeah, because it's like we build up, we can build up so much good, good momentum. And like, just for example, I have some, I have some great athletes. They just miss, I have a few that miss a large chunk of the summer just for stuff, which it doesn't mean you just missed a large chunk of the summer. It means you, you missed three swim meets, Mm -hmm. which means the next swim meet's not going to be till September, Mm -hmm. which means you just went four months without racing, which means you went four months without kind of having that carrot. Cause for a lot of kids, meets are the carrots. Yeah. And when you're too far out from a meet. Mike speaking, speaking to that, you know, the other thing is when you know you're going to miss a meet because you're going to be on vacation in June, let's say this is the time of year. People are going to do this. School's going to end. People are going to go on a vacation. What people don't, the parents don't really understand this. The athletes take their foot off the gas they just kind of back off a little bit. Sometimes they do it subtly and you can't really tell unless you're watching close and you're really measuring it and you're really seeing it. And so they do that. And then they do that for like a month and they come back from that week and they're kind of out of shape and they haven't put it in before. So now you're looking at even more time. I don't know if you can see the chat on your end. There's Um, something here. Oh, it says says, very coach Mike sounding set. (laughs) Yeah. When we were talking about the kick and swim and I do a lot of things where it's like, we're doing eight rounds of this or 10 rounds. Yeah. Yeah. But part of that, I will say part of it is the group I'm coaching now is like a pretty wide range. Um, I have like my main group, I have like almost sectional level 14 year olds and then some non B athletes in that group. Um, part of it is for simplicity. Like we, we can't, we won't survive a complicated set. My my uh, patients won't survive a set with a different different distances and a bunch of different intervals and stuff. Well, Mike, I but. think that that goes into your question of like, what do age group coaches need to do well? 
the first thing that Bob Bowman did with me when I became his assistant was take me to the whiteboard and write down on the whiteboard a set that was something like 625s of something, two 100s of something else, a 275 of something else, brackets three times. He says, what's this? And I said, I, I don't know. It's a set. And he says, it's crap, <laughs> basically. I don't remember his exact words, but it's nothing. It's nothing that's going to work. Yeah. And the <clears throat> if the workouts are simple, the athletes can be the variable that's exciting and the dynamic variable of the workout. If the workouts are not simple and they're, they're dynamic, the athletes, first off, tend to be just questioning it the whole time. And then second of all, second off, the workouts tend to be dynamic and exciting and they tend to be the thing that's not kind of boring because <laughs> they're just doing yeah. the exciting workout kind of good. Whereas do a basic workout real well and then you've got good progression from there. Man, that's I think that's a phenomenal way to end this. I'm going to clip that by the way. <laughs> that was a, that was great. But uh just to just to add on to that, it's it's completely right, you know. I know I messed up when my kids get to the wall and they're like this with the workout. Every time they get to the wall, yeah. I'm like, "Oh god, nobody's Mm-hmm. nobody's hitting the stroke count. Nobody's hitting the breath pattern. Nobody's hitting the underwaters. Mm-hmm. We're swimming the distance. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And live and learn too. Right. I mean, I, I, I every week or so, I'm just like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done it. That didn't work. Or I approached that inc- incorrectly. I think as coaches, we have to give ourselves a little bit of like, like we would to our athletes, you know, we want to treat ourselves like we would treat other people. Um, we tend not to do that. So to your point, it's like, oh, I'm not going to do that as much anymore or something like that. I think as coaches, we should just watch them and learn, you know, and, and then take the, take the input and then use it. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you, uh, taking the time to sit down. A lot of fun, a lot of things to think about, you know, my, so we're talking about watching and learning. I know back to the predictor thing. Uh, I probably watch more broadly than that and i know i'm good enough to watch more narrow yeah and i need to anyways that's what that's why we do what we do we keep getting better and we you know coaches are coaching for a long time and they just keep getting better and improving i think of mike parado from um i believe he was coaching in minnesota when um uh oh shoot now i'm gonna reagan smith has was has been developing as an athlete and, you know, you think about in the 80s, he was working with Jenny Thompson and many other really good athletes at Seacoast Swimming. And it's just like he learned and kept learning and learning, learned through them, learned through other athletes, you know, as other good athletes, not like Reagan Smith. Right. But then he gets another mm-hmm. athlete really good and he's learned so much. And boom, there you go. There's another really great, you know, Hall of Fame athlete that's, yeah. you know, one of America's all time best. So, yeah, and he's, cool. he's learned all the way to be able to, to do that. Not to, not to mention coaches like coach Bowman learning from people like Michael Phelps and that kind of thing. Of course he taught Michael so much, but now with Leon Marchand, he's about to set the world on fire. It's like, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Bob's Bob's the per- perfect person with his experience to work with him. Yeah. Well, Paul, I appreciate it, man. I hope you have a great day. Absolutely. 